Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper, Ben Badler here, and Josh Norris. The Bear is back. Howdy. So we're going to talk uh, prospects as we always do today. We're going to jump in and look a little bit also at the, uh, the, the Astros who keep flirting, keep going back and forth of having the best record in the American League, which is pretty impressive and, and a pretty amazing rebuilding job we've seen there. We're going to talk about that, but we do want to remind you before we do that that it's a great time to subscribe to Baseball America. You can get the magazine and you can subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for the online content. We've got, right now, I believe it's about 140 draft scouting reports up. We'll have another uh, 400 or so coming uh, down the pipe for subscribers. I I know I have a lot of those to write. It uh, keeps me up at night uh, right now. And then also, though, we do want to remind you, July 2 is coming, and the July 2 coverage, the international signing coverage, unlike what you find anywhere else, Ben Battler's been working very hard. He has a whole lot of reports. He has a whole lot of more reports to write himself there as well. You add it all up, and pretty much you're going to have scouting reports on most everyone who, uh, most every prominent guy before they sign, on the July 2 side and also on the draft side. So we, we do want to remind you, you can subscribe at BaseballAmerica.com slash store. And we thank you if you already do subscribe. Uh, we really do appreciate that. That's what we, we, you know, we love giving you great content, but that's what allows us to put together that great content. And we, we thank you for that. But so Ben, so Josh, we are, we are looking at right now an AL West, which I don't know if we said a quarter way through the season, if you said predict that the Astros would be running away with the AL West crown. I don't think, uh, I don't think we, any of us would have predicted that. No. I, I, I would ask you guys, okay, so we've seen through the first quarter of the season the Astros are running away with that. Is, are the Astros the team to beat in the West, and do you think that they have the staying power? That Are we going to be looking at your division champ, Houston Astros, when we get around to uh, the end of the season? I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say. There's there are positions that they do need to fill. It sounds like Chris Carter is not uh, hitting particularly well right now, and there's a guy in the minors who might be able to come up and spell him a little bit. Uh, we all know and love Jonathan Singleton, but what they do have, they do have, they do have a uh, Dallas K, whose name I can't. Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel. They've got you know uh, Colby Rasmus. They've got Preston Tucker's come up and started hitting. They've got guys like that. They've got uh, another shortstop who's who's in the minors who's going to come up. Carlos Correa may, uh, may, may help. May, may be able to help. I don't know if he's going to hit any buildings on the fly. In, uh, in, in I think he was on the bounce. Too. It was, he, Carl, in case you didn't see, Carlos Correa uh, left the uh, yard yesterday uh, in AAA, and it actually actually left the park. Uh, I think it hit a you know and, and ended up hitting a building, but I think it was on a bounce. It was. Gallo is the only one who hits, you know, buildings, buildings on the fly. That's not true. Fly. I saw Mauricio Dubon doing okay. this past week. Maybe so. The but, building is a little closer. But, but, but okay, well, I'll ask you, Ben. Well, I mean, what, do you think that we're looking at the uh, your AOS champs? I think there's a good chance of it. I, I certainly think we're looking at a playoff team. And if, if you ask me who's going to have the best record in the AOS the rest of the season, 
I still think the Mariners are the best team in that division. I think they have the most talent in that division. And I think going forward from here on the rest of the season, uh, you know, I think Robinson Cano is is not going to have an on-base percentage under 300 and and be slugging, uh, you know, what he is with just one home run. Uh, I mean, that's just not going to, that's not going to keep up. Uh, I think they're, you know, Austin Jackson, uh, getting more playing time for him. I, I think that, to me, they're they're the best team in the AL West. They certainly have not played like it. But you know, if the Astros can just play 500 baseball the rest of the season, that's they're an 80. They're going to win 87, 88 games. I think they can. I think they can do that. And if they do that, you know, with with the extra wild card team now, it's. I think they're they're a very they're, they're certainly I think they're more likely than not to get into the playoffs whether it's winning the division, yeah I mean I guess at this point they probably are the favorite I, I certainly wouldn't have thought it coming into the season but I mean you project them out the rest of the season the the great thing for them is that I mean everybody knows at some point Carlos Correa is gonna be up I don't think it's just a strict super two manipulation. On the Astros' part, this is a guy who had, you know, missed missed most of last year. Really hadn't played above a ball at all, and he's been tearing it up. I don't think they're keeping him down just for super two reasons. I don't think they've just been strictly manipulating it for that for that reason, just to save money. But I think at some point, uh, you know, in the second half of the season, or maybe even a little bit before then, Carlos Correa is going to be up, and he's going to be replacing one of their one of their bigger weaknesses, which is at shortstop right now. So I think, yeah, you can say maybe there's a little bit of you know flukiness or or air in the record right now. But I think that this is a team that, and especially that has a lot of young players. Uh, you're going to see those guys improve going forward. And then once Correa comes up, uh, it, you know, I think there's a lot of chance for for them to to improve going forward. And you know, if they can, like I said, if they can just play 500 baseball the rest of the season, uh, this is a playoff team. Doesn't help that, or doesn't, that the A's are out of it. It looks like, uh, or not out of it. They're, they're out of it. Thirteen they're, they're, and a half they're, out. They're, they're dead right now. But they just lost the starting pitcher. Looks like Cassidy well, they yeah, the they're they're more in the running for the first pick in the draft right now. Well, then they got a boost, baby, because Scott Casimir left after three innings. But I, I do think the other thing that's worth noting with the Astros is that the Astros are the team in the West also most positioned to make midseason trades, you know, we, we sometimes overemphasize how much you can help a team with midseason trades. But you look at the Astros, the Astros, as you mentioned, Correa is going to come up probably at some point. Both of y'all mentioned that Correa is going to come up at some point this year. But beyond that, they have the depth to make minor or potentially major trades if they need to, you know, if they feel like that they've got to make a, a move or two to really kind of bolster and, and, you know, the back end of that rotation, maybe, or, you know, again, I think Correa is going to fix the shortstop problem if you look at that in the long if term. If they need to go get a big, big name, I mean, it's not like the Phillies and the Astros haven't been trade partners many times in the past. That, that's true. I got Amaro on either side of the deal. But I, I think that, you know, I, I do, I think that they have the depth. You look at the, the teams in the West who are going to be trading maybe to try to catch up to them. You know, the Rangers have shown a little bit of a resurgence here, you know, so they're they're not completely entirely out of it yet. Obviously, the Angels, the Angels do not have the ammunition to make a move like the Astros do, and really the Mariners don't either. And so, 
you look at it, we mentioned Preston Tucker. Preston Tucker, this could almost this could potentially be a showcase for him. They have more outfielders than they have spots. And I think they, they've it's already been rumored that that's been a showcase for him. Right. So they, you're looking at with Preston Tucker, they could trade him, or they could trade one of the other guys. Santana, you know. Te, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, well, also some of the guys, again, they have more outfielders than they have at the big league level. You could say that, okay, one of those guys maybe ends up in a move, and you still have – you know, you still have depth to where you can handle that. There's a a lot of creativity to what the angel, the Astros can do going forward. The thing that stands out about this is that I do think that what a lot of credit the Astros deserve here goes to they've done this not by the Cubs have done this in the more traditional way. The Cubs are kind of arriving like we all thought they would arrive because. Chris Bryant showed up, and Chris Bryant is everything that we expect Chris Bryant to be. Addison Russell, after a very slow start, is starting to be what we expect Addison Russell to be. Jorge Soler, you know, you have kind of top prospects showing up and doing it. Really, if you said how the Astros get here, the Astros have gotten here by, in a large part, they've managed to acquire kind of what looked like inconsequential moves at the time, but you look at Colin McHugh and, and what they've managed to make out of him. Dallas Keuchel turning into a, a frontline starter, which I don't think men, much of anyone expected. A possible all-star starter. Right. Those are those are the kind of moves that the Astros have done. You look at you look back at that 2012 draft now, and you say, okay, Correa should be up soon. McCullers is up, and then you throw on top of that that Tucker's already up. That's that kind of uh, you. That looks like a very very good draft now. You add it all up, and the the Astros do it by. I, I kind of I will say that personally. I thought, does the wave of guys work? Does the depth work? Well, if you can manage to figure out which guys can help you and which guys can't, and they've had more opportunity than most to kind of figure that out by playing guys over the last couple of years. They didn't hit on it a hundred percent. J.D. Martinez was a guy they should have kept, but. You look at it overall, they've managed to kind of sort through which guys they should keep, which guys they shouldn't, and here they are. It comes down to what what we bandied about in the uh, Org of the Year meeting before when we talked about the Cardinals, knowing what you've got, knowing knowing your own personnel better than everybody else knows your personnel. I, it's, it is very impressive, and you look at it and you say, I, I do think that this is not a team that's just going to fall apart, and the other thing about it is is that this is a team that if if – if they have some injuries crop up, they seem pretty well equipped. We haven't even mentioned again. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think Mark Appel's ready right now. But they have Mark Appel in Double A. They have Vince Velasquez in Double A. Yeah, they have Michael Feliz in Double A. Those guys combined last night to strike out fifteen and walk one. Velasquez and Feliz. So I mean, that's you. You have you have more help coming. Uh, ben, when you look at them long term, does this look like a team that's going to be a? Uh, a continuous AL factor for a while here, or is this more of a, a team that you think is beating up on what's been so far a pretty weak division? No, I, I definitely think this is going to be a, a strong team in, in the long term, and it's certainly come on faster than I expected. Like, like you said, they've made some really good moves for you know some of the you know some of the smaller under under heralded players in their organization are 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 making a big impact in their on their club right now. But the the farm system, you know, wave of talent. I, I don't necessarily. I don't know if you'd call it a wave. It's not like something that the. It's not what the Cubs have. It's not what the Royals had uh, a few years ago. But 
there's there's definitely young talent coming up, and it's it's starting to come up. But uh, a lot of the the best young players that they have haven't really haven't really reached the big leagues yet. I mean, this is what they're doing without Carlos Correa. Uh, you know, the, this is there, there's more talent coming. I, I think it's it's very impressive and, and very surprising to me what they've what they've been able to do this year. And I and I do think that this is a you know, a team that's going to be, you know, continue to be built for, for the long term. So, Josh, I want to ask you, you know, you mentioned him already. Singleton, Domingo, a couple of kickbacks, a couple of guys who've gotten some time at the big league level and struggled. Are they going to get some help from them this year? I mean, or one of them this year? I mean, like you said, with, with Santana, you've got a, a too many you've got too many outfielders for too many spots. And I, I don't know what they've done with him this year in Fresno, but... He's the last time I saw him. He had a hitch in his swing that I thought pitchers were going to exploit, and I think major league pitchers are really good at finding guys with holes. I'm not sure you're going to get too much more out of him. Um, but I to, to bounce on what Ben said, you know, talk about long term contenders. You're going to have if we if he is what we think he is, uh, you're going to have a star shortstop, a, yes. a front line star, all star guy. You're going to have an ace in Dallas Keuchel. That's that's a really good start, and you're gonna have good complimentary players, like we said, with Colin McHugh or uh, Lance McCullers or uh, Preston Tucker or Jake Marisnik out there. I don't see why George Springer. George we... Springer. I can't believe I forgot George Springer. That guy too. I mean, uh, in their outfield right now, again, Evan Gaddis doesn't play entirely in the outfield, obviously, but you've got Evan Gaddis, Jake Marisnik, Preston Tucker, George Springer, and uh, Colby Rasmus. That's yeah, Evan Gaddis, there's the guy you might sell. At but the point. problem is, is right now you can't sell him for anything. If you give him to an American League team who wants a guy who can right. knock but the ball in the ballpark. He's got to start him. producing a little bit more again. To I think right now, like I think you could probably get more for Preston Tucker because he's cheap too. You know that's. But I do think. Well, Ben, I'll ask you. Jonathan Singleton is is the Jonathan Singleton who leads the minors in home runs right now, which admittedly in the PCL, but. Is this the Jonathan Singleton who can be uh, a significant help to this club in, two, in 2015? Or is that a, a guy beating up in AAA having already had a chance to master AAA? Uh, I, I hope for <laughs> I, I hope he's the guy who, who we expected him to be uh, a, a couple of years ago when he was one of the top prospects uh, for that and for the Phillies too. Um, I do think that there's there's change from from where he was a year ago. Uh, you're you're seeing more power from him. I mean, you can say, yeah, he's you know he's he's repeating AAA, but it's it's not like he's just facing the same pitchers again. It's you know he's he's adjusting to the same level. He's getting he's more used to the the speed of the game in AAA, uh, which is you know a, a faster pace of game than and better quality of pitching than you're seeing in double a but the you know when a, a guy has to repeat a level especially when we're talking about triple a to me that doesn't doesn't mean all that much to me uh, i think we're seeing you know we're seeing continue to get get bigger and, and stronger you're seeing that in the power he's he's controlling the strike zone he's he's always had a really good eye at the plate uh there's there's been some swing and miss in his game in the past certainly uh, there was quite a bit of it last year, especially when he, yeah, when he got to the big leagues. But it wasn't like when he was in the minor leagues, you know, maybe a little bit when he was in 
double A and he was, you know, again, 20 years old. He, he was striking out about, you know, once a game there, but uh, he, he was one of the youngest players in, in that league. So uh, it's never really been an issue for a ton of swing and miss until he really got to, uh, you know, triple A and, and then and then the major leagues last year. But you're, you're starting to see him make some adjustments with his approach. And, and I think the 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 surge in his power numbers this year. I mean, yeah, again, it's it's the PCO. There's going to be some inflation there, but I think this is a guy who has a chance to hit and hit for power. So I'm I'm optimistic that the you know that that the changes he's made are are, are translating onto the field, and that it's that it's not just a, you know a fluky hot start. I think this is I, I, there are signs that this is a, a real change for him. Well. We're going to move on to talking a little Yom Mankata and, uh, and kind of some prospect news. I am going to bow out at this point. I have more draft reports to write. So I thank everyone, but Ben and Josh are going to continue. So thank you, everyone. JJ signing off. But and now we will continue with the prospect portion of the Prospect Handbook podcast. And now I'm in the big chair. All so, right, now we can talk about JJ. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, one one of the guys. We were talking about some uh, some Red Sox prospects, but w- one of the guys who's uh, coming up right away that now getting a, a call up is Eduardo Rodriguez, the the left handed pitcher uh, the Red Sox traded for last year from the Orioles, who's a pretty fascinating guy because it's I remember you know. Talking, getting reports, and and talking to scouts who saw him last year, and it just completely depended on when you saw him, whether it was pre-trade when he was with the Orioles, or when it was after the trade, and and he was with the Red Sox, and you know it didn't sound like the Red Sox really changed anything with him. It wasn't like there was some no oh, do this with your mechanics or or try holding your uh, you know your your breaking ball with with this grip, or, or try doing this with your changeup. It just sounded like they got, you know, fortunate. I, I don't want to say lucky. It was it was a good, you know, job of identifying the you know the player. But it certainly got fortunate that his stuff seemed to spike up right after the trade. Uh, you know, from what you know from what you've seen of of Rodriguez, or from talking to scouts about him, what do you make of his his prospect status and, and what you expect from from him in terms of his major league readiness right now. I think of the three guys that they have at Pawtucket, the three lefties, uh, Owens, Rodriguez, and Johnson, I think he has the biggest ceiling. I think he has the, the loudest stuff, a fastball that can get up to the upper, uh, sits in the low to mid-90s and can touch 97. He's got a changeup that's above average right now that he is, feels confident throwing to both sides. It, it really depends on how far that sliders come. If he does that, he's got three quality major league pitches. And when he went to the Red Sox last year, they credited Bob Kipper with kind of instilling in him the mindset to A, you can throw your changeup to both sides, and B, you can start busting guys inside with fastballs. That if you start doing that, you're gonna get more respect from the hitters and you're gonna you're gonna get weaker swings. And when I saw him live against uh, Richmond, that's exactly what he was doing. He was throwing fastballs on the inside black at a guy's belt, and it was really uncomfortable for hitters, and he just kind of carved the squirrels that day. Um, I like him a lot. It's going to be a one-shot deal right now, they said, uh, unless he you know goes crazy and does something historic. But after that, he's going to go down. He's going to have his Major League debut out of the way, 
and you'll you won't have those jitters the next time they bring him up. Um, so yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, I think he's I think he's major league ready right now. I, I you know whatever they whether they keep him up or or not. I, you know I'd like to see him get a, a more extended look. I, I look at like we were talking about this stuff really jumped up and and the control ever since the trade too. The, what what's impressive is that his his control got even better. He, he started walking fewer guys. I mean it's it's not like he's ever really been wild before. It's not like he's uh, you know Henry Owens who has uh, all sorts of long moving parts in his mechanics and, and goes through funks where he just completely loses the strike zone. I, I think he's certainly, you know, like you said, if you need one of those three guys between him or, uh, or Henry Owens or, or Brian Johnson, uh, you know, Brian Johnson, certainly, you know, good feel for pitching type guy. To me, he's a, the, the stuff is a little bit light to me. He's like a, maybe a back end, maybe a fifth starter at best, but I, I have questions about whether uh, he's even going to, get to that kind of a, a projection in the major leagues. I think his stuff is going to be a little bit more uh, hittable in the, at the major league level than, uh, than some people think. But, uh, but yeah, Rodriguez has the stuff. He, he controls it. I, I think he's ready right now. I'd like to be able to see him uh, get, a, get a more extended look, hopefully a little bit more than uh, one star, because I do think he has a chance to be eventually a, a mid-rotation starter, and I think he's, he's ready right now. Um, but, you know, looking elsewhere – in in the Red Sox system, I know you got to see one of the more exciting teams in the minor leagues, and that is the the Greenville Drive, the Red Sox Low A team. Which, if if you're going to see them, uh, I think you saw them at the the perfect moment, right when uh, Yoan Moncada got there, and right before he went down uh, with an injury. But that team is is certainly much deeper than just Yoan Moncada. Uh, they have Rafael Devers at third base, uh, who is 18 years old and, and already one of the best hitters uh, in the South Atlantic League. And they have uh, Javier Guerra at shortstop, who's a... I've always heard about how, how good he is at, at defense. Uh, actually, when he signed, there was even some questions about you know whether he'd have the speed and, and the range to, to stay at shortstop, just because he's... You know he's still not much of a runner, but I think his his internal clock and his his instincts are and his jumps off the bat are, are so good. I don't think there's any questions about his defense now. No, he's, uh, he's dirty. But he's yeah, but he's he's also hitting a lot now too, which has been uh, extremely surprising to me. So uh, there, there's certainly a lot of talent on that team, Josh. What is it? I guess starting with Yoan Moncada uh, of of the brief amount of time i don't know how much time you got to two games. games you got to see him two games i mean what uh between that and and obviously seeing him before the game in mpp and infield what did you come away from uh, or how did you feel coming away from from seeing him i i want to see more i mean i want to see a lot more those two games were great and they were stunning just every facet of the game he did something that was special you could in bp i remember him watching him take it from the left side and whatever happened, I think he got beat like three times by the BP pitcher. On in, or he might have broken his bat or something. But he left, and he came back, and he got a new bat, and they just started pumping balls over the monster in left field opposite side. He was jerking them out over the monster left side. He was putting balls out in center field. In infield, he had quick hands and a pretty strong arm, turning the double play. I mean, there was a couple plays where he was kind of adjusting in-game. There was one, I'm not sure what happened. I think he might have been moving over to cover a hole and then the ball was hit the other side and he kind of did this weird awkward try to dive back toward it sort of thing 
but you could see what the Red Sox paid for. And if, if the tools click like they showed up for me, he's going to be so special. I mean, I was so impressed. I haven't been impressed by a position player like that in a really long time. Yeah, I mean, if you just grade out the, the raw tools, I know I've said this before, but I think maybe Byron Buxton is probably the only guy who, if you just grade out the just the pure tools, has better tools in the minor leagues than Yola Moncada. I mean, it's so easy just to go in and see him, like you said, for, you said you only saw him for, for a couple of days. but It's all the triple that he got himself hurt on. Like He kind of slid funk. He might have slid a little too early. And the, the back leg kind of got caught on something and just kind of dragged. And you could see as he got up, it was it didn't look pretty. But I don't think he's officially on the DL yet. Um, but you could see he was in pretty good pain when he got up. And, you know, no question he was leaving. Yeah, yeah, that's it's obviously unfortunate. But it's, it, you know, he's one of those guys who you can go in and see for, for just a couple of days and immediately be, be blown away by the tools. I mean, there's some guys I feel like that you got to – you got to see him over over a longer period of time to to really appreciate what they do. Whereas with Moncada, it's you know the tools just jump out right away. But at the same time, this is not some guy who, you know, this is not like uh, this is not Bubba Starling. Where okay, wow, you can see this this great athlete who's got uh, you know this great physicality and and great tools and can run and hit for power. And then when the game turns on, it's all right. <laughs> It seems to disappear because uh, there's still a lot of rawness there. Moncada has always been, you know, for his age group in, in Cuba, he's always been the best player in Cuba. He's, you know, scouts have always really complimented the way he uh, he manages his bats. The you know the swing. It's not just bat speed, but the way the the swing works in game. I don't know. Did you see him from from the left side and the right side, or is yeah, more just from sides. from one side? I saw him both. Yeah, sides. I mean, you know. So I mean the the left obviously the left-handed swing is you know a little more comfortable with that but you know this is a guy who's got a chance to you know hit get on base at a high clip and, and hit for power uh, he's built defensively like, he's it's, built yeah. like a bodybuilder I mean my goodness it doesn't I don't know too many eighteen year olds who look or nineteen year olds who look like Moncada does it, it, yeah he's uh, he's, he's a physical specimen right for sure. Yeah, I mean, did did you get much of a? It's it's. I always get a. You know, if you go in and see a guy for, you know, even a three or a four game series, it's always difficult to to judge defense other than just actions. But uh, did you get much of a sense for him defensively, or maybe too brief of a look for that? I mean, in game it wasn't much. He didn't get too many things where he was challenged on. But like I said, in infield, he looked like he has quick hands. He can turn the double play. The arm is strong. Uh, He's got the tools to be a, a good defender at second base too. I can't. They're going to come into Greensboro here in a couple weeks, and I hope he's active again by then. Even if he's not, I'll I'm go see the Devers show and the Garrett show, and maybe Michael Kopech if it aligns correctly. But uh, even if without him, it's going to be a fun team to watch against Greensboro. If you can get if you can get Yoan Moncada versus Tyler Kolek, hello. Yeah, I, I think he's got the like he's a, just a dynamic athlete, and he's got a you know a super arm too. He's got all the tools to be potentially an above-average defensive second baseman. I, I think that's you know, whether it's again whether it's at second base, he could play third base too if if he needed to. Uh, you know, frankly, he has the speed where you can put him out in in center field. You could pretty pretty much put him anywhere on the field yeah, other than that, uh, shortstop. I should say that stuck um, out, He's just too. not – I don't think – infield doesn't come – the fielding doesn't come quite as naturally. 
the, the, the speed the speed stuck out too. Athleticism, yeah, and you have the the work ethic for it, and you put in the time, and, and he's and he's young enough too. Where you, know, you take a guy like like Robinson Cano when he was younger, it was not a you know not a standout second baseman, and he turned himself into a, you know a plus defender at second base. So I think it's one of those positions where uh, you know if you have the tools and, and the athleticism that Moncada has, you, know, you, you can really work yourself into an above average defender. At the position, I think eventually down the road, I, I think that's what he's going to become. But that's obviously one of the, the areas where he's going to need to focus on yeah, you, you, uh, the most right now. You, you you reminded me a little. There was one play he did make. There was a pop-up to the middle of the diamond. And you could argue whether it was Guerra's ball or the center fielder Joseph Monhe's ball. But he goes out. He ranges out there. And he makes an over-the-shoulder catch. And you all you can think of is... You know, there's a lot of things about this guy that remind you of another second baseman who wore number 24. Uh, he looks like Cano. His swing from the left side looks like Cano's. There's a lot of things that remind you of that guy. And yeah, I mean, I've been on, uh, you know, I've been guests on radio shows, and they, they ask me if uh, is this guy similar to Robinson Cano, and it's you know, usually somebody throws out a, a real lofty comp like that, and I just kind of roll my eyes sometimes. But you know, I. I I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it with him. That tells you how how talented this this guy is. But but talking about uh, you, you were talking about Javier Guerra. I mean, that guy's uh, stupid good. Defensively, I don't think there's any question about him right now. Not a guy who is gonna you know put in a big time home to first or, or impress you with his his pure speed. But he's He's, he's quicker than he is fast, and just defensively, every review I get of him uh, sounds like he just is uh, just a special defender at, oh, at shortstop. He's beyond special. I mean, there was a play I saw him make in spring training that I kind of he, – he fields the ball on a hop in stride while running towards second base, plants the foot perfectly on second base, and makes the throw 6-3. And you, I, I think, don't think I'm doing justice to it by describing it, but it, I just kind of – turn toward the Red Sox coaching staff like did that just happen is this a backfield game with a low a guy just made that play it looked like Ray Ardonia's and then he, in the in the series I was watching he made one where he skied like he's trying to block Shaq and uh and caught the ball to save a hit he made a, a diving play he shows off arm and you're right he's not the quickest guy in the world but neither is Andrelton Simmons and that guy's not gonna gonna turn in any plus plus running times down to first either, but he's the best shortstop in the game. And, you know, Guerra's not him. Guerra doesn't have that arm. But Guerra is probably, the, he's definitely the best defensive shortstop in that league, I think. Um, at least Luis Guillorme is there. I love Luis Guillorme as a defender too. But, you know, Guerra is in another, in another zip code. And the only reason he doesn't play sometimes there is because Mauricio Dubon may be a shortstop. Uh, but they've got to get Moncada and Dubon and Guerra all on the field time, so they've they've been rotating them in and out uh, to get. Like, yeah, with with Guerra, it's all it's. We've always heard about his defense. I mean, uh, just hearing rave reviews about him the the last couple of years, and obviously that's carried over into this year. But I'm I'm frankly shocked at how how well he's hit this year because this is a guy who's always been. Uh, you know, certainly last year he showed a. A fairly hyper aggressive type approach uh, in the Gulf Coast League. Not a you know a, not a ton of power. Mostly a gap to gap guy. I don't think anyone's projecting you know 15, 20 home home runs from him or anything like that. But 
as a guy who's got a you know an OPS over 800, slugging 475 with a 353 on base right now. I I wanted to see a little more in BP. Uh, I think this is a guy who needs a little more thump behind him, um, but he knew how to work a count. Like uh, I think there was one where he broke the game open with an RBI triple or two or three run triple. He got the bases loaded, I think, and he he knew if he got the pitcher into the into the uh, into the count he wanted, he's gonna have to groove something. He did, and he knew what to do with it. He socked it into the right center gap, and he legged out a triple. You know, it's not, it's not. He's not a hacker up there, um, that I saw at least in the two or three games that I saw him play. Um, he's not going to be a hitter like Devers. He's not going to be a hitter like Moncada, but he's not going to be a pushover either. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned Devers too. I mean, oh, oh, <laughs> I don't think there's too Devers. many questions about his bat. I mean, I've been it's funny too cuz I remember seeing him before he signed back in like January, must have been 2013, uh January or February, whenever they had the MLB showcase. Saw him there, saw him uh playing in a, another game that the International Prospect League uh was playing and everybody was talking about, "Oh, you know, you know the <clears throat> the two best hitters that year from the Dominican Republic were for him and Luis Encarnacion, who signed with her, with the Phillies for about a million dollars. Uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez and and Glaber Torres were in that class too. Uh, probably more athletic, uh, more positional value uh, than than Devers. Although if Devers can stay at third, that's that would be uh, you know a big boost for him. But you know, so those guys were in the class. But everyone was talking about all right, the best you know best bats that year, combination of bat and power. Uh, we're, we're, we're Devers and Encarnacion, and and Devers I, I think went maybe 0 for 8 or 0 for 9. Maybe, maybe had one hit, uh, just didn't look that great. All you could see certainly the swing and and the bat speed were there, but yeah, everything that the scouts have uh, talked about, where they were so excited about him, have, have really uh, borne out to be very very accurate. I mean, this is a guy who's got you know a, a tremendous quick compact powerful swing too i mean the powers uh really increased over uh the last couple of years this is a guy who you know you hope he can play third base but even if he has to move to first base uh eventually it's you know it's too soon to say a lot of it is just projecting based on how big he is and, and how young he is still how much bigger he's gonna get uh, but it, it seems like the bat might be good enough to to play even if he does have to to move over to first base eventually no, he, he was awesome. He Oh, my goodness, was he awesome. The thing that struck out to me, you talked about the bat speed and the, the compactness of his swing. That's that's all there, but what struck me is the approach. This guy's 18 years old, and he's there working deep counts, spitting on pitches, willing to get into two strike counts, and then once he gets what he wants, just lashes it. This man, talk about stuff that's not going to show up in the box score. He hit a double, and I'm making air quotes here, uh, during one of the games that he hit the ball, he ran all the way to second, everybody was throwing the ball back to the pitcher, and nobody realized the ump had called the ball foul by about an inch. So, it was a double, as far as video footage is concerned, you got to see what he can do, but it's not going to show up in the box score because it didn't count. Um, so if you see it on BA, on, on BA at some point, know that, that he had to go back and continue hitting. Um, he didn't do much in game, but you could see the approach that you like, and he's willing to go to opposite field. A scout who was there told me he thought he was the best hitter in the South Atlantic League right now. So, you know, just 
watching him, and you get to watch him in infield too, and you can see the concerns. The footwork isn't great. He botched up a lot of balls on, in the infield. But again, he's 18 years old. Let's give him time. Let's give him time to coach. He's with Michael Chavis there right now, who I bet you he can, if you can get some stuff to rub off on him from Michael Chavis, who played the heck out of that position. Uh, when you have Chavis and Guerra on the left side of that infield, you just hit it to the right side. You're not going to get the ball through the left side. Um, but if he moves over to first, he's still got the bat to play there. I didn't really see the, the huge power in-game, but you know it's there from the, from guys you talk to. So, I mean, I couldn't have come away more just impressed by that left-side group of infielders and Dubon, uh, Chavis, I'm sorry, Dubon, Moncada, Guerra, and Devers. My goodness. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, you know, speaking of offensive-minded prospects, guys who, uh, you know, guys who are tearing it up right now at the plate, but certainly some question marks on the position uh, brings us to Kyle Schwarber, who it, uh, it's unbelievable how good this guy has been from the moment he set foot. Onto, onto the field uh, with the Cubs. I mean, uh, we've said, you know, for the last, uh, you know, ever since he signed, this guy's been one of the, the best bats in, in the minor leagues. Uh, he's, he's tearing it up right now in double A. He's, he's got a, 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 an easy, loose, fluid swing. He, he's got a feel for the strike zone. He can hit for average. He can get on base. He can hit for power. Um, pretty much everything you want. Uh, from a, a middle of the order bat, uh, it's, I'm obviously a, a huge fan of Kyle Schwarber's offense. Uh, defensively, there's the butt. <laughs> uh, it it just looks like his his bat is going to be ready before his defense will. Uh, and and obviously, there's questions about whether he's ever going to be uh, ready defensively. Whether he's ever going to be able to stick behind the plate. Uh, and now you know, I get questions from, from Cubs fans all the time about whether Kyle Schwarber might be able to help them this year. And I think, you know, I think if they absolutely needed him to, I think, I think he could. I'd like to see him get more time in, in AAA. I think if you look historically at what the Cubs have done, even with guys who – uh, you know, certainly don't have the, the major position questions that Schwarber has. They, they tend to give their guys a, a good amount of time at, at AAA, not even necessarily to, you know, manipulate their service clocks or, or anything like that, just to just to give them time to, to adjust to that level. You see things that, at AAA that you don't see in AA. You get a lot more guys with big league experience, guys, especially when you get into the the later innings where, you know, in, in uh, a double-A game, it's going to be a lot of, you know, marginal prospects or, you know, decent prospects. Maybe a guy who throws 95 but has no idea where it's going. Uh, you know, you have more guys in AAA who are up-and-down type guys who are kind of on that taxi squad who uh, are have big league experience and, and might be called up to the, you know, the, the big leagues this year. So it, I think it is a jump that's important for a guy – uh, to make certainly not in, in every situation, but I think it is beneficial. But you know, Josh, if the Cubs needed Kyle Schwarber this year, uh, do you think he could help this year? And, and if you were in in their situation, uh, would he be a guy that, that you would bring up this year? Well, if I'm in their shoes 
and I decide he can, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm popping him. I'm bringing him up, and I'm saying, let's go help. I mean, if he's really that bad behind the plate, that's another thing because you're going to you're gonna hurt your pitchers that way. Um, but I think they showed a little bit of aggression when they brought up um, Addison Russell. I didn't, I didn't expect Addison Russell to be up as early as he was, but he's up now, and they waited through a little bit of growing pains with him, and now he's contributing. And I think another question to ask um, to you is, what do you do with Javi Baez right now? I, I leave him in, in AAA. I don't see any reason to to bring him up. The, you know, he's, he's had a lot of struggles. There's a lot of, there's a lot of noise in his swing, and that's, that's always been able to, to work for him just because he is just extremely athletic and has uh, some of the best bat speed that you're going to find and, and some of the best raw power that you're going to find but it's you know adjusting to that speed of of the of the major league game has been difficult for him and you know ideally it, it might be a situation where he's for his development it, it might be better for him to be in the big leagues even if it means him struggling but this is a cubs team that i think has a chance to compete for you know, at least a wild card spot this year. And when you have Addison Russell there and you look around the, the rest of their infield, I, I don't see I don't see any justification for bringing him up. Maybe, you know, maybe later in the season that might be a possibility. But right now I think it makes sense to, to give him more time in, in AAA and, and keep him there until there's a, a need or until he really forces his way onto, onto the big league roster. If you're a, a team at the deadline, do you want Javi Baez back in a trade? Um, I think it would it would have to be dependent on on, on the deal. Obviously, is he a centerpiece um, of a trade? You know, it, it would it would it would just depend on who they're who they're getting back. I, I certainly think that his value is down from, you know, this is a guy who was the number five prospect uh, in baseball a year ago. I, I certainly think that his stock since then is down, um, but he's there's still, there's still a, a lot of talent there. I, I'm always concerned about guys with that heavy swing and miss profile and, the, and, and some of the swing complications uh, that he has. But it's it's such rare uh, bat speed and and raw power, you know the the pitch recognition, the swing and miss. That's all that that whole profile makes me very cautious. But all of the other tools that he brings to the table, uh, and, and then shortstop, second base, third base, wherever you want to put him, there's still so much upside there that. Yeah, I mean, he, he he still has trade value. I mean, I think he still has a lot of trade value. And, and if some other team wants to make him the centerpiece of that deal and I'm the Cubs, I'd certainly be willing to move him. But if I'm another team, it would it would really depend. To me, it would be a guy where, you know, if you can take advantage of the Cubs having, you know, no obvious place to, to put him and maybe get him a little bit cheaper in a deal that way, I'd love to have him, but I, I I could certainly see the Cubs being amenable to uh, to shipping him somewhere else uh, if they can get a a good a good major league player in return. 
Okay. Um, so what do you have planned upcoming for this week? Uh, are you going to go out and see? It says Reading, I guess, is in town again. Are you going to go see them? No, that's uh, – yeah, Reading's in town. Aaron Nola, unfortunately, is uh, – Every time Redding comes to town, he is uh, he does not pitch, he does not <laughs> so that care that disappoints me. Unfortunately, no, there's uh, a lot of July second coverage working on that. Cuba is uh, never stops. This is really the prime prime opportunity for for guys to leave Cuba because this is their this is their off season, so they don't have to be reporting somewhere uh, every day. So it's it's a lot easier for these guys to leave. So just just staying on top of that, but I know you've got some, uh, it sounds like you've got some travel plan coming up. Yeah, but before we do that, um, we, I guess the the Orioles signed Cuban pitcher Ariel Miranda. I think you probably mentioned this on the site already, but tell the podcast listeners what to expect from him. Not much. He's not that good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, he's all right. Just organizational depth, uh, maybe a... Maybe a back-end starter, maybe a reliever, uh, if, if it all comes together for him. But, uh, but yeah, he's just kind of another another extra guy to uh, to sign. And, and, you know, he, he was all right in Cuba. He, he had some success there, but uh, nothing too nothing too uh, nothing too much that, that jumps out about him right now. Then uh, he's just another another arm to to add to the organization. Okay, um, so my trip starting tomorrow is going to take me into Tennessee um, on the way down to Chattanooga, which is the ultimate the destination. I'm going to stop in Kodak, Tennessee, and see the Smokies uh, against Aaron Blair tomorrow. So Aaron Blair versus uh, Kyle Schwarber, and it uh, depends on Dan, if Dan Bogelbach went on the DL, but Albert Elmore is there. So I'll see those guys for a day. Um, then we move down and see uh, Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano and Jorge Polanco and Adam Brett Walker and Travis Harrison and Jose Barrios is going to pitch in that series and they're against Biloxi so Orlando RC is going to be in town and during that series I'm going to take off one day from Chattanooga and I'm going to go up to Nashville where if I've counted correctly I will get to see Steven Matz versus a young lefty named Barry Zito um and that'll be fun for a day. And I think if I'm doing it right too, I might I might either get Brent Honeywell one day or Grant Holmes one day if I jet up to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky for a day and catch them. Um, so it's going to be an interesting four days. I'm going to get some combination of a lot of prospects. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it just yet, but I know I'm going to see a lot of guys. <laughs> All right, you said you were going to see the uh, the Twins Double A team, right? Chattanooga. So I'll get Buxton and Sano and Barrios and guys like that. Um, but there's a lot going on around that general area, and it's just a car trip away, a couple hours at most. So, and a lot of guys who don't necessarily come down this way, like Steve Matz, I don't think we'll see him here in the in the Triangle region ever until you flip on the TV and he's on MLB Network and pitching in City Field or wherever. So I'd like to get the chance to see him one last or once ever before he goes to the majors. Um, that day is going to be against Nashville. And I think it's going to be Barry Zito on the other side, which I'm unusually excited to see. He's going to be the old master versus the new master. Um, he, like As if the Mets need any more. You see what Syndergaard did today. He had a 430-foot home run, and he threw a fastball 100 miles an hour. So I think that's a pretty good day for Noah Syndergaard. But anyway... 
uh, yeah, Buxton, Sano, Barrios, um, Orlando, Arcia, and Vanderbilt's playing in their regional in Nashville. So at night, I could see after Matt's, I could see whoever's pitching for Vanderbilt that night. Yeah, so you're gonna see, you're gonna have to see Orlando Arcia and uh, and Jorge Polanco. It sounds like those guys are, you know, obviously give a lot of attention to to Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor, Addison Russell, uh, those guys who are are the real premium, obvious top of the class, uh, top of the prospect chart. But, uh, you know, to me, Arcia and Jorge Polanco and, you know, Trey Turner, maybe a more high-profile guy just because he does have a first-round draft pick next to his name. But uh, three double-A three shortstops right now who are, uh, you know, just off to tremendous starts right now. And I, I think especially Arcia and Polanco, maybe it's starting to change with, with Arcia. I think he's starting to get uh, some – some more attention at, at given the start that he's been off to, but uh, I think all three of those guys have been uh, uh, very impressive so far. I think mean, RC is a guy who's got a chance to be, you know, I'm not saying he's as good as Francisco Lindor, but I don't know that the the gap between them is all is all that great. I mean, RC is a guy who's a plus runner, a above average defender, a guy you can hit and, and knows the strike zone. You're not going to get a, a ton of power. He's going to give you, you know, above average production defensively uh, at the plate. And as a guy who has a chance to make an impact uh, with his speed as well, uh, you know, Polanco doesn't bring the, you know, the same wheels that uh, Arcia has or, or quite the same defense, but uh, another guy who's, uh, you know, very very instinctive player uh gamer type guy who who hits in games and 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 gets on base a lot uh i think this is a guy who's got a chance to be uh you know maybe not a, a surprise but i think he has a, a chance to surprise people with, with just how good he is because he's not a guy who you know, we talk about moncada you, you go in and and see him and it's it's so immediately obvious why everybody is raving about these this guy because you can see the tools immediately whereas Jorge Polanco I think he's one of those guys where it takes a little bit longer to to appreciate the the skill set that he brings to the table yeah um I'm excited to see this whole thing and to combine them with the Devers Guerra Moncada Chavez Kopech trip of last weekend it's gonna be quite a few quite quite a seven eight ten day period for for me and look forward to videos of these all these guys on the site stories all that follow me on instagram periscope all that jazz i'll be going crazy all weekend nice all right i think this is a good way to wrap it up for ben badler for jj cooper who joined us in the first segment thank you again for listening to the baseball america podcast say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.